We've mentioned already Grace for the City on Tuesday evening where we're going to come together for a great evening of praise for Jesus and hear the word of the Lord to us as a church and group of churches across London and to hear what God is saying to us. But don't forget on Good Friday, um, we have our Good Friday communion service at um, 11 o'clock here at KT. And then on Sunday, our senior minister Colin Dye will be ministering in the morning. Um, and then at the 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock next Sunday, Dr. R.T. Kendall is back with us. Uh, he's been at an affiliated Bible school with us in Stockholm, Sweden for the week, and also speaking to a large gathering of Swedish ministers on Wednesday, and he's flying in tonight, so do keep him in his prayers. We don't want to work him too hard. He's up for it, though. I tell you what, he's got more energy than, than many of us, so it, it's exciting. So we've got a good Easter week Ahead of us. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 32. I want to speak today about Jacob wrestling with God. Jacob wrestling with God. Genesis 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. Oh, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that we were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. He said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. You see, what was happening here was Jacob was returning to his land. Uh, we remember that he fell out with his brother Esau because Jacob got the birthright and the blessing. Now, the thing was, God had promised that Jacob would get the birthright, promised that he would get the blessing, had promised that the elder would serve the younger. But if you remember the story, Jacob uh, and, his, and his mother, Rachel, worked together and plotted together to steal it. And so Jacob went in there and... Uh, he had the arms of Esau, the hairy arms. He made the food. And the problem was, you see, Jacob tricked his own father to get his blessing. And uh, that was, that was going to plague him. See, God would have done it for him. Do you know that? If he just believed the promise, he'd have got the blessing. But the problem was is that he tried to do it in his own strength. And this is what God's going to deal with. He always did it Jacob's way. And so if, if he'd allowed God to do it, he may not have fallen out with his brother. God could have sorted it out. He just needed to believe. And so he left and he went to Laban and he found that Laban was more trick, trick, uh, tricky than himself. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting all, my, all the names. So then he got his two wives uh, there 
Um, and he got Leah when he, when, it, when he thought it was Rachel. I was getting Rachel mixed up. And, um, and all, these, all these types of things were taking place. So he's on the way back, and he's worried. He's concerned. He sees two angels, but he's still concerned. And then when he sends his servants to try and get a feel of how Esau is, and um, when they come back, it's not good news. They say, oh, yeah, Esau knows you're coming and he's on his way. And by the way, he is coming with 400 men. And immediately Jacob's frightened because, you know, 400 men are coming his way. If he was friendly, why would he bring in 400 men? What would 400 men do with him? So immediately he begins to panic and he divides his, um, his flock and he uh, says, I'll divide the flock, I'll divide my people. So even if one group gets destroyed, the other group will get through. And um, then he prays in verse 9. And he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all of your truth which you have shown, your servant. For I crossed over the Jordan with my staff and I have now become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for fear that I, fear, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother and the children. And then if we move on to verse 16... It says, then he delivered to them, to the hand of his servant, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me, and put distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong, and where are you going, those who are in front, whose are those in front of you, then you will say, they are your servant Jacob's, it's a present sent to my Lord, and behold, he is also behind us. So what Jacob was then doing, he's, first of all, he separated the group, so that if one was attacked, the other one might flee. The second thing that he used his cleverness to do is he decided to send his flocks in, in, in droves. In other words, he'd send waves of them. The idea being is that when his brother Esau first saw the, the first group of herds, they would say, oh, this is a present for you. If that wasn't enough to placate him, after a while, the next wave would come. If that wasn't enough to placate him, the next wave. You see how Jacob's very clever, isn't he? I mean, he, he hasn't changed much <laughs> from the beginning when, when he worked out what, what to do to get, to get his, his birthright. So here he's thinking, uh, you know, I don't want to give up all my flock, just enough for me to get through. So I'll send a wave. If that's not enough, another wave will come. And, but if that wave is enough, then that's fine. The rest I, don't, I can keep. So he's doing his absolute best to figure out how he's going to get out of it. He's prayed to God, but actually he's, he's, that's like, oh, God bless me, but I better sort this out myself. Typical Jacob. And... Um, and then, so he's sorting it all out, trying to figure it out, and saying, God help me, prayer on, a, on above it. And he says, behold, verse 20, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself camped 
lodged that night in the camp. And he arose, verse 22, that night and took his two wives, um, Rachel and Leah, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Interesting. When Jesus, at the beginning of the day, Jacob had all his family together, all his servants together, all his flocks together, all his wealth, all his prosperity, everything that he had, everything that he'd made with his life was with him. But by the time it was nightfall, he, he had nobody. I mean, even his two wives, he'd sent over the brook and he was left alone. Everything he had had been scattered. He'd split up into two portions, his family. He had sent his flocks in waves to try and appease him. His whole wealth, everything he'd worked for, was scattered. And now he was left alone in the dark. He didn't even have his wife's wife with him. What was going on? Well, God was trying to get Jacob alone. That's what God was doing. And until God got Jacob alone, he couldn't deal with him for his future. This is important for us because God is trying to get us alone as well. And if, the one, if there's one thing that is very difficult for Christians in this modern age, it's to get alone with God. Because there's so much company that we can have. Friends, relatives, television, radio, all these things, computer, Facebook, you know. There's so much distraction. There's so much to keep us apart or so much to distract us or so much to engage us, so much entertainment, so much, so much business, so much working duties, all these things. All of these things can keep us from what God wants to do which is to get us alone, one-on-one. And here is Jacob in his time of need, and God has really made sure the situation had taken everything away from him, and he finds himself alone, separated from his resources, separated from his family, separated from his wealth, separated from his position, and he's alone, and it's a very dark night. You know, in those days, when it was a dark night, it was a dark night. I mean, you might say, oh, it's a dark night in London later on this evening. Yeah, but we've got lights. Uh, And even on the outskirts of London or in a village, there's always some sort of uh, lighting that's around uh, that can mitigate the pure pitch darkness. I remember when I was a boy that uh, I used to live in a village in the Yorkshire Dales. And um, when it got dark, it got dark. I mean, there was no lamps when it got dark in the village. It got pitch black. And I remember one night uh, coming home in the absolute pitch dark through the village and the winding roads, and uh, I couldn't see my hand before my face. The darkness was so thick, you could almost feel it. And I remember being pretty terrified at that time, and the thickness and the darkness, and the feeling of alone, and, you know, I could bet, I really, I had to put my hand on the wall and try and figure out 
you know, where I was in the village, you know, which field I was at, which gate was I at, I couldn't see. Well, this is what it was like for Jacob. He was alone, he was in the cold, he was in the darkness. And then we see in verse 24 that a man wrestled with him until the break of day. What was happening here? Well, this is the angel of the Lord. Many people believe that this was actually uh, the word of God, the son of God himself in a pre-incarnate experience, Christ himself coming down uh, as the angel of the Lord. Uh, whatever, it, whatever it was an angel of the covenant or, or it was Christ himself in a, in a pre-incarnate manifestation, a Christophany, whatever it was, he was about to wrestle with God. But notice, he didn't look for a wrestling match. It was this man, this angel, this manifestation of God that found him. It must have scared him out of his shoes in that darkness and that lonely place and that fear of his brother and that he'd lost everything that he had. He didn't know what was going to happen. And suddenly, out of the dark, something jumps on him. How would you feel? I know how I would feel if on my way back home in Yorkshire, if something jumped on me, I would just go nuts, and just run, 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 to probably walk, run into a Yorkshire tree and knock myself out. But something jumped on him and was wrestling to the, him to the ground. You see, the angel to begin with is wrestling Jacob. Jacob wasn't looking for a wrestling match. It's the last thing he needed. But an angel, the angel of the Lord, found him and began to wrestle him. And I wonder who Jacob thought that was. He might have thought that it was Esau. I mean, it was his enemy. Who else would? Maybe Esau had, um, had, had crept up on him or watched him or followed him and grabbed hold of him and was wrestling him into submission. And there he was, but he wasn't going to give up without a fight. He, 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 he wrestled back. And so the angel of the Lord is trying to wrestle him. Now, why didn't God answer his earlier prayer immediately? God had already said he was going to go back home and everything was going to be all right. He'd already seen two angels, hadn't he, at the place called Manaheim or whatever it was called. And, and why didn't God answer it? Well, that was because God wanted to do something in his life. Do you know, often the reason that God doesn't answer our prayers as swiftly as we would like them, is because God wants to do something in our life before he answers it. He's far more interested in your character than in answered prayer. God's greatest prize is your godly character. That's the thing he prizes more than anything, more than results, more than actions. It's godly character. And so he was wrestling, this angel was wrestling Jacob and to begin with, it was Jacob that was trying to get away. Jacob wanted to get free, and he was using all his might to try and get out of that situation. He was still confident that he could do it, struggling, fighting, wrestling. You see, God was trying to pin him down. God was trying to pin him down, and he was resisting. This is a picture often of what God may be doing in our lives. God may be trying to pin you down. God may be trying to wrestle you into submission. But you may be like Jacob, struggling with all your might, 
to get him off your case. You might not even know it's God. You might, you might think it's the enemy. You might think it's the Esau in your life. You, you might be struggling with, with something, trying to figure something out using all your manipulation, if I can use that word, using all your brain, using all your skill, all your education, everything you've been blessed with, everything you've learned to try and sort a situation. And then this situation or circumstance you're in or God himself is wrestling you. He's not letting you go. And you're seeking to try and get out of the grasp you're seeking for freedom. You're seek, seeking to run away from situations. You're seeking to run away from circumstances. Perhaps you're even seeking to run away from God and his plan for your life or the things that he's spoken to you. Or you're, you're running, running away from the things of God. I've already said there's, a, there's enough entertainment in the world and in the church to, to keep you busy running from God all your life. There's, a, there's enough things to do things to see, things to get involved with, problems to face, to keep you on the run from God. And that's why God was trying to get Jacob alone. And when he got him alone, he sought to, to, to pin him down and Jacob was trying to struggle, trying to undo what God was doing. And the more Jacob struggled, the tighter the angel's grip on him. You know, when we struggle with God and what God is calling us to do and, and what God is speaking to in our lives, uh, we tend to struggle and struggle. But you know what? The more you struggle with God, the tighter his grip on you. The more he... Pre you can't run from God. Ask Jonah. He did a pretty good job. I mean, if anyone... You know, I know we had the London Marathon, but you put Jonah at the beginning of the London Marathon and said, God's after you. He'd be down there in 20 minutes at the end. No, no one could run away from God like Jonah. He was an expert. But God chased him down. I got, I, I got some good advice for you. Give up. When it comes to God, give up. Give up. Give up. Just give up. But Jacob being Jacob, now, you know what the word Jacob means. The word Jacob, when he was given that name. I mean, he was wrestling when he came out of the womb. Esau came out, and he had something attached to his leg. It was Jacob's hand. Jacob was wrestling, it says, doesn't it, that they wrestled in the womb. So Jacob thought himself, it was, I was a born wrestler. He's in the womb and he's wrestling, get out of the way. And, and, and he's wrestling to get the blessing, to get out first. He's, he's a child, he hasn't done anything right, wrong, doesn't know anything, but he knows how to fight. And so even though he's wrestling to get out, he wrestled the blessing. God had said he'd get the blessing, but he wrestled it from Esau. He wrestled it, he used his own ability and manipulation, and, and he used the hands of Esau to get the blessing from his father, when if he'd believed God, God would have done it in a very different way. And so he's wrestling with God. And you know, sometimes our life, if you look at your life, it's just a wrestle with God. A wrestle with God. So many Christians in our nation are being wrestled by God in this scenario. God is wrestling them. God is speaking to them. God is wanting to deal with character issues. 
that will prevent them from fulfilling the destiny he has for them. We're speaking about offense a lot at the 2.30 service and the 5 o'clock service. If you're offended, or if you're, if you, if you deal, if you're very highly sensitive, you're always oversensitive, and people have to walk on eggs around you, you're a wrestler with God, and God will wrestle you down and keep offending you till you finally break. God is wrestling with the church of Great Britain. Do you know that? You say, is the church of Great Britain ready for revival? No way. No way. I said last week, if God poured out revival in the church of Great Britain today, the church of Great Britain would be destroyed within six months. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, what, uh, the works of God are manifest, but also the works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit said, and, and we're not ready yet. Hopefully we'll get ready. God is wrestling us to get us ready. There's so much flesh that needs to be wrestled. And flesh is a wrestle. The fruit of the Spirit, that's the, the fruit of the Spirit is a fruit. It comes out of your life. But the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, spiritually organic, it's a work of God. It's not, a, uh, it's not effort, self-effort. But the flesh is effort. And those that are caught in the flesh are caught in fleshly sins. You're wrestling. And God, out of his mercy, is wrestling you down into a place of submission. You know, I prayed to the Holy Spirit recently. I'm saying, Lord, I pray that you would do a deep inward work in me. And part of that is because I don't like it when you do it on an outward work. In other words... If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do an inward work, then he will send circumstances to deal with us. You know, I'm not saying we'll face circumstances anyway, but if God can't train us and lead us and work on us on the inside by his word and his spirit, he will just ensure that the right difficulties come our way to push us into the situation that he wants us to be. And he's doing it for our blessing. The angel was wrestling Jacob for his blessing, but, but, but he didn't, we didn't know that. And the more he struggled, the tighter the grip, and hour by hour, Jacob was getting weary and weary. You know, if you wrestle with God, you're going to lose. But it is amazing how long you can keep wrestling with God or resisting God. It's amazing how you, you, can, you can struggle with God for years. The Holy Spirit is so incredibly gracious and patient with us. It is unbelievable how gracious and patient day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, the patience of the Lord, yet he won't let his hold go. He won't let us off the hook. He knows where he wants us. He knows where we're going. He's not going to change his plan according to our plan. He's not going to do it. He'll just have us walking around in the wilderness until we're ready to face the promised land. And so the weariness, weary. Some people are weary because they, they are resisting God. And so we see this picture. Now, then we see this in verse 25. Now, when he saw he did not prevail against him. In other words, the angel of God was, was wrestling him into submission, but... Jacob would not submit to God. Not submit to God. He was wrestling. He was fighting back. He was pushing with all his strength. He was getting weary. But what did the angel do? He thought, okay, I have to do something drastic here. 
He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled him. You see, what did he do? He put his finger on the spot where Jacob was strongest in the wrestle. If you know anything about wrestling, your hips are extremely important in wrestling. Now, I've, I've never wrestled, but I was Ripon and District Junior Champion at Judo when I was uh, a, young, a young teenager. And when, when you're doing Judo, which is, is full contact, and, and it was the championship, the district champion then your hips are absolutely important. It's, it's where your strength is for if you want to throw somebody. And I remember I got into the finals and uh, the person that I was wrestling, my age, was a lot bigger than me. And I thought, okay, well, judo's not meant to be about size. It's meant to be about balance. But I thought, if this guy gets on top of me, I'm finished. And, and, we're, and so we get into the final of, of this championship and we're doing our judo thing. And I finally get him down in a lock. I've got my hand around his head and under his leg, and I'm leaning on him. And he's a big guy, and I've got him down. And there's a certain amount of time that you have to keep him on his back. And if you do that, then, then you, you win the match. And I remember I was holding him down, and he was moving and bucking up and down with all his strength. And I was so tired, just trying to hold him, trying to hold him. Trying, and there was one second to go. And if I'd held him down, I would, I'd have got it outright, and I just couldn't do it. I just wasn't strong enough. And then at the end, I won on, I won on points. And while I was holding him, it was my hips, it was my strength that was, was, was as I dug my, my, my toes into the mat, and I was, it, was, it was here that came the strength that I was pushing. So in wrestling, this is a very important area, and the angel touched him. Right at his point of strength, right at his point, on the spot where he was strongest, and then everything changed. Everything changed. I said at the beginning, it was the angel that jumped on Jacob, and it was the angel that was wrestling Jacob, and it was the Jacob that was struggling to get free. But as soon as the angel touched him at his point of strength, it changed. Now it was Jacob that was holding on to the angel, and it was the angel that was trying to get free. And Jacob said, let, and the angel said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You see, at that moment, Jacob was at the point where he had lost all his strength. He'd become lame. He had nothing, absolutely nothing. He'd given all the strength that he could, and now his greatest attribute in wrestling had been touched. And so now he just hung on. Why? Because he realized that he couldn't do it any longer. He'd come to the end of himself. But as he came to the end of himself, he came to the beginning of God. He'd been trying to wrestle free from God as God had pinned him down. But now, in his weakness, he grabbed hold of this angel, God himself perhaps in manifestation, as I've already mentioned. 
He had no more confidence, no more strength, no more ability. It was darkness. He was alone. He'd struggled to get free. And now he was holding on to the only person that could help him. This person had defeated him. And therefore, he believed that this person, he hung on to God with all his might. He's lame. He's left his wife, his children, his servants. He's alone in the darkness. He hangs on to God and he won't let go. And then the angel turns to him in verse 28 and says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, struggler, wrestler, but Israel, for you have struggled or wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob to Israel. And Israel means prince with God. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. There is a, a wonderful hymn on this story, which I'm going to read to you. It's a bit of a poem, I suppose. It's a hymn by Charles Wesley. And um, it's called, Come, Out, Come, O Thou Traveller Unknown. And it's based on the verse, Genesis 32, 24, Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And I'm going to read it. It's quite a long hymn. It's a hymn. And it's in old language of these and thous, but don't let that put you off. Try and, try and think of the story and think about what Charles Wesley is trying to portray about the meaning of this story. Okay? It's Jacob, it's darkness, and suddenly a stranger jumps on him. Come, O thou traveller unknown, whom still I hold but cannot see. My company before is gone, and I am left alone with thee. With thee all night I mean to stay and wrestle till the break of day. I need not tell thee who I am, my misery and sin declare. Thyself has called me by name, look on thy hands and read it there. But who, I ask thee, who art thou? Tell me thy name and tell me now. In vain thou strugglest to get free, I never will unloose my hold. Art thou the man that died for me? The secret of thy love unfold. Wrestling I will not let thee go, till I thy name, thy nature, know. Wilt thou not yet to me reveal thy new unutterable name? Tell me, I beseech thee, tell. To know it now, resolved I am. Wrestling I will not let thee go, till I thy name, thy nature, know. "'Tis all in vain to hold thy tongue "'or touch the hollow of my thigh. "'Though every sign you be unstrung, "'out of my arms thou shalt not fly. "'Wrestling I will not let thee go "'till I thy name, thy nature know. "'What though my shrinking flesh complain "'and murmur to contend so long, "'I rise superior to my pain. "'When I am weak, then I am strong.'" When my, and when my all of strength shall fail, I shall with the God-man prevail. My strength is gone, my nature dies, I sink beneath thy weighty hand, faint to revive and fall to rise. I fall and yet by faith I stand. I stand and will not let thee go till I thy name, thy nature know. Yield to me now, for I am weak, but confident in self-despair. Speak to my heart, in blessing speak. Be conquered by my instant prayer. 
Speak, or thou never hence shall move, and tell me if thy name is love. Tis love, tis love, thou doubts, thy doubt died for me. I hear thy whisper in my heart. The morning breaks, the shadows flee. Pure universal love thou art. To me and to all, my emotions move. Thy nature and thy name is love. My prayer hath power with God. The grace unspeakable I now receive. Through faith I see you face to face. I see thee face to face and live. In vain I have not wept and strove. Thy nature and thy name is love. Contented now upon my thigh, I halt till life's short journey end. All helplessness, all weakness, I on thee alone for strength depend. Nor have I power from thee to move, thy nature and thy name is love. Lame as I am, I take the prey. Hell, earth and sin with ease overcome. I leap for joy, pursue my way. And as a bounding deer fly home. Through all eternity to prove, thy nature and thy name is love. That's Come out thou, O thou traveller unknown. A great hymn. And there's a few verses in there I missed out, but it's, it's worth looking at. Because it just shows us what this passage is speaking about and what God was trying to do in Jacob. You see, he was Jacob, a struggler, a wrestler. But when he came out of that time with God, he was a prince. A prince with God. Think about that. Before... He wrestled with God and came to the place of submission and then in his weakness grabbed onto God and would not let him go. Before that, he was a Jacob. Before that, he had natural resources, cattle and servants and family and power and wealth. But when he came to that place, he had absolutely nothing. And at that place of nothingness, that's when he realized he needed God. And in that poem, that hymn I read, that, that again, again, it says, I'm weak, but I'm strong. And isn't this right with God, that God chooses the weak things out of this world? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, going into 2. God chooses the weak things, not the strong things. He chooses the weak things to shame the wise. Didn't he say to Paul, in your weakness, that's where my strength is perfected. Even Jesus was at his most strong when he was at his most weak. The strongest act that Jesus ever did was to allow himself to be crucified on a cross. The Bible tells us that if we want to be strong, we have to understand our weakness. And then God will renew our strength like an eagle. He was Jacob, the resister beforehand, but now he was in the strongest position he'd ever been because he understood that his whole life was reliant on God. Everything that he had. He got to the place where he had nothing else to hang on to. He tried everything. He tried every trick in the book, everything he could do and ask God to bless his own works and thoughts. But God said, I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing it Yahweh. And brought him to this place. And now when he got up, he was a prince. Do you know what that means? To be a prince with God? 
It means now forget the sheep, forget the servants, forget the wealth, forget the power that he had, forget his mental ability and knack to get out of a difficult situation. Now he came with the authority of God. The authority of God. He was a prince, a prince with God. Although he was at his weakest, he was now at his strongest. He had an authority, not from his own ability, resources, wealth, but he had an authority that came from God. He was the only prince of God that was on the planet. The angel has said, you've been known as... He said, bless me. What could be a greater blessing than to be called God's prince on earth? Now, he had no authority of his own, no power of his own, but now what he had was an authority from God. He was part of a royal priesthood. Now he had God on his side. Now he was weak, but he was so much stronger. He was doing things God's way. He was now able to, to meet the situation that came his way, but not by his own resources, but by God's resources. God is working on our lives because he wants us to bring us to that place. Now, you don't want to wait until he touches your hip. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. But we need to submit to God in new levels. New levels. Because the church in the West is not submitted to God in one, in one iota. We're not submitted to God. What are we submitted to God in? We pay lip service to God most of the time. He's not at the center of many of our lives. He's at the periphery. He's part of a compartment of our life. He's a section of our life. He's not at the center of our life. We go along in our life and we say, God bless me, God do this, God do that. But, 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 it, but we don't feel like if we don't pray one day, we're not going to make it through. You see, prayer is a good in indication of where you are on this road of struggler to prince or princess. And this is what I want to ask you. How close are you to becoming a prince with God? Or if you're a lady, how close are you in being called a princess with God? Or are you more a Jacob struggler wrestler when it comes to the God and the things of God? Ask yourself. Because you're in a situation of wrestling with God. And is God still wrestling you to the ground? Or have you come to the place where you won't let him go? Whatever I've said today, take that away with you. Take that away with you and think about it. Are in this wrestling, are you still being wrestled to the ground by God? Is God still trying to put you in a place of blessed submission? Are you still kicking against the goats? Remember Paul? He wrestled with God. He wrestled with God mightily. He was persecuting the church, but something inside him was saying, you're going the wrong way. And finally, Jesus said to him, and what did Jesus do to Paul? He did the same thing he did to Jacob. With Paul, he knocked him off his horse and blinded him. And Paul was, Paul was going around persecuting God, fighting God, fighting God's plans and fighting God's people. I know there was something going on in Paul's life while he was doing it. But he was wrestling God and God's destiny. And then God said, right. And he did 
what he did to Jacob in his own particular way, said, right, I'm, I'm going to touch you at your point of strength. Bang! Knocked him off his horse. Blind. And what was Paul? Paul just didn't know what to do. He had to be led all the way before he got healed. You see, God has his way of doing these things. Doing these things. Why? For your own benefit. He's doing it for your own benefit so that you can... Are you really... If you look at your life, and we're speaking in broad sections here, because no one's going to be perfectly submitted to God, but we're speaking broadly in orientation of life, are you still being wrestled into submission by God and you're still trying to get out of it? You're still trying to get away from God, his call on your life, the things that he wants you to do. Are you wrestling to get free from God? Or have you come to the point of weakness where you're beginning to hang on to him? You're saying, I can't let you go. I've got nothing else. I can't let you go. I'm, you'll have tasted this sometimes, I wonder. Sometimes we've been in situations, there's people here today watching or listening, and you've been in situations in, in your life where God has stripped away everything from you. True? A circumstance, a disaster, a situation, and before it you had the resources. Everything was going all right. Everything was good. God was there, but hey, you are in control. You're having a ball. You're having it all. It's all going good. Then bang, disaster hits. The last thing you expected takes place. Circumstance comes into your life. And just like Jacob, all your resources are suddenly scattered and are of no avail to what you're facing. And then you find yourself, even if you've got people very close to you, you find yourself in darkness and alone. Hey, you, you could be married to the greatest man in the world. You can be married to the greatest wife in the world. You can have the greatest brother, sister, parents. But sometimes, people, you find yourself in a place where you're still alone. Where no matter how they try to help, they can't feel your pain. They don't understand what you're going through. You are alone. Like Jacob. And God stripped... And some of you have been in that situation before. And at that time, you have got nothing from God. I mean, sorry, you have got nothing but God. And that's when things slowly begin to change for you. Change in your character. And then a change in your circumstances. But I've already said, let's not wait for circumstances to do that. Let's voluntarily lie down. I mean, when the angel jumps on you, and the angel's jumping on us, or when God is wrestling you, do you know what? I submit. Just submit. I remember when I was a kid at school, there was a big fat bully. And when he used to jump on you in the playground, you didn't fight back. Why would you do that? You just had to submit. I just, just had to submit. And after a while, I get bored and jump off you and go for somebody else who wouldn't, who wouldn't submit. It was more fun to bully. Yield to him. Yield to him in greater yielding. In greater yield to him and his plans for you. Yield to him. Just, just, let, just lie there. And then as you do that, you will begin to hold on to him. I mean, just imagine being in that place where you won't let God go. You won't let him go. Why? Because 
He is everything for you. He's your future. He's your provision. You grab hold of him. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to grab hold of him for our lives and our families. He wants us to grab hold of him for the souls of the lost. He wants us to grab hold of him for London and Britain. He wants us to grab hold of him and not let him go so that the blessing comes. Because that's where the authority comes. That's where being a prince or a princess, it means you carry authority. Not like the world carries, but you carry authority before God. You know, we, we talk a lot about, oh, hallelujah, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. Well, have you even submitted to the captain of the host of the army? Oh, I have authority in the name of Jesus to cast out demons. Well, have you even yielded to the one that gives you the authority? You see, we talk a lot about power and authority, but very little about submission. We talk a lot about who we are in Christ and what we can do, but where's the power? We're good at talking. We charismatics are good at talking up a good power, talking up a good thing. But often when we're in the battle, we're found wanting. When, when the enemy comes, we can't resist him. We chant, the devil flees, but when we get out of these doors into the difficult places where the devil is, we keep ourselves quiet. God wants to restore tremendous levels of authority and power in our lives. I mean, he wants to take this nation back for God. He wants to, to flood Europe again with power. He wants your loved ones saved. He wants to see you have a breakthrough. He wants you to make a difference in the place you are by your presence and who you are. Well, we don't have to shout a good shout. We just whisper it and it's done. But in order for him to release such levels of authority, he has to have corresponding levels of submission and reliance on him. Last thing we want God to do is pour out his spirit on a fleshly church. Why? Because it will be no good for the church. You pour out the spirit on a fleshly man or a fleshly woman and they will, they will ruin themselves and they will ruin others. This is why men and women that are fleshly and receive levels of anointing that they can't handle and they're like shooting stars and they build ministries and churches, but bang! They're out for the count. Why? Because their flesh can't deal with that type of power and authority. And I've seen it. Someone gets a measure of, of power with God. A member or a cell member or, or a leader or a leader of a church. They get a measure of authority or a measure of power and things begin to happen. And that's when the real test of the metal of that person is. And their church begins to grow, but they begin to get arrogant. They begin to look at the other small churches and say, well, I've got a thing or two to tell you about the power of God, bless God. And, and they begin to get arrogant and begin to be, think that they're something special. And then the anointing and the power and the authority and the breakthrough begins to puff them up. Sometimes it's immediately seen and immediately dealt with, but at other times it can take months or years before the flesh manifests and destroys everything that the anointing was sent to do. The greatest test is when God gives you power and authority. When he actually begins to back up 
the things that you're saying. Actually begins to give you and trust you with authority and power. And things begin to change. That's when you need to be a Jacob. That's when, when the power starts flowing and the breakthroughs start taking place and the blessing comes and the finance comes and God opens the windows of heaven and, and we start to move in power and authority like princes. When we start to act and pray like princesses. And you're not just saying, I'm a prince of God, bless God. You are a prince of God and your prayers and your actions and your, and your impact shows Authority from the kingdom of heaven. Authority from heaven. And the things that you do, and, the thing, and all of a sudden, God is owning you. You're a prince and a princess. Things are happening. God's blessing and authority and power. Where well, you better make sure you're clinging on to God and you know that you're nobody without him, or you, my friend, are finished. Finished. You'll be on the ministry scrap hit. I'm not just talking about ministers. I'm talking about business. You know, if you are rich here tonight, if you are rich, if your business is being blessed and you are rich, woe to you. Be careful. I don't know if I want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Because how hard is it for the rich to get into the kingdom of God? Not just to get saved, but how hard is it for a rich person To be used of God, very difficult, very difficult. If you're a rich person, you need a lot of prayer. Why? Because you have a tendency to arrogance. You have a tendency to your own strength. You have a tendency to your own power. You have a tendency to your own position. You don't have to queue up with the rest of us. You can go into business class. You don't have to queue up and have your hip done. Like if Jacob wanted to have his hip done. Do you know what I'm saying? How long on the National Health Service would he have to wait? If you're a rich person, you can just walk straight in there. You expect a a kind of attitude when you walk into a restaurant. You expect a kind of attitude. Oh, so-and-so wants to meet you, Pastor. Oh, really? I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's very wealthy. Okay, bring him in. (laughs) You better be careful if you're rich. Because if you're rich, can you handle the riches? Because God has given you riches for the kingdom of God. And I tell you what, I don't know if I could be trusted with that type of riches. You know what I'm saying? So God prospers you. You better watch it. You better watch it. You start going high in business. You start going high in politics. You start getting what you want. You start making it in the world. You want to be a singer and you start making it on the X Factor. Be careful. There's reports of, of, they call them pastor's kids, of all these famous singers and musicians in America who were just totally off the rails, and yet they were strong in church as kids. Strong in church, strong in God. And now they're all over the place, arrogant, prideful, lustful, deceived by their own greatness, deceived by their own riches, deceived by their own power. What's the problem? They've never wrestled with God. They've never been to that place voluntary, or they've never accepted the time when God got them alone and wanted to wrestle them, they struggled free and got hold of the drugs to make it easier. Got hold of the fame to dull the pain. Oh, come on now. God is wanting to produce in you something wonderful. He's wanting to put you in an experience of life 
where the world can't touch you and the world can't dominate you. He's wanting to answer your prayers. He's wanting to pour out a blessing that you can't... Oh, you, you, what God wants to do, what God wants to do, the goodness of God. But let me tell you, you've got to be a Jacob to become a prince. You've got to, you've got to be at that place of the angel where you submit and then hang on to be a princess. We preach a prosperity gospel without a cross. We speak victory without discipleship in the Western church today. God will give you this. God will give you that. And there's no pain. There's no cost. There's no responsibility. That's what we preach. But God wants us to get into a place where we can handle what he wants to give to us. Where we can handle these things. Not be spoilt by them, but we can handle these levels of anointing where we can handle the breakthrough in the media, where we can have people in politics and media and, and people whose businesses get incredibly and overly and beyond all expectation blessed. What are your dreams? What are your dreams for God? And what are God's dreams for you? And where are you looking for the blessing? And where do you want the breakthrough in your life? And, and where do you want to see the change? in the people around you and your family. And where do you want to see the kingdom of God? God wants to pour out the kingdom. He wants to pour it out. He wants to bless it. He said to me once, when I'd gone through a trial, and I came out of it, and I thought, wow, you know, I've grown through that. And God said to me, that's the easy thing. That's what he said to me. I was, I was almost offended. That's the easy thing. I thought, that's the easy thing? What I've just gone through is the easy thing? Oh, I didn't say it like that, obviously. <laughs> well, that's stupid. But I, I'm thinking it, you know what I mean? That's the easy thing? And he said, yes. He said, because you're not ready. You're ready to handle that. But you're not ready to handle the blessing." That's the hardest thing in the world. To handle the blessing of God and the favor of God and the breakthrough of God and yet still stay humble before him, clinging on to him. It, like Jacob clinged on to him when the wealth is flowing when the riches are coming, when the fame is there, when the house comes and the dreams of your heart and, and all these things, to still hold on to God like you've got nothing, that, I think that's the most difficult thing in the world. You've got no choice to go through a trial. You can handle the difficult things and we're learning to do that, but God is saying, can you handle the blessing? Jacob could not handle the blessing. Do you know that? Up till this point, Jacob could not handle the blessing. That's why he kept being called Jacob. He'd been promised the blessing, but he couldn't handle it. He grasped at it. He grabbed at it. He used every fleshly tool. He even dressed like Esau to get the blessing. But at this point, he was able to handle the blessing. And for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. 
Thank God he never got healed of his limp. To this day, the Jews won't eat that part. That's how amazing and powerful it is. He walked with a limp. Thank God Jesus didn't heal him. You say, what? You're meant to be pen. Thank God Jesus didn't heal Why? Because he might have forgot. Sometimes the weaknesses in our lives, sometimes we're like, Paul, take it away, Lord. Heal me, do this, do that. Sometimes, and I'm not saying when and how, but sometimes God says, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. The best thing that ever happened to you. It's bringing you to a place where you can now be a prince and a princess. Friends, the blessing is hanging heavy over us. The blessing is having, hanging heavy over us. Hanging heavy. But by the mercy of God, the fullness of that blessing, by the mercy of God, is not yet come upon us. Because God wants us to walk with a limp. And then you'll be changed from a struggler with God to a prince and princess. And you will hang on to him whatever the blessing Whatever, you won't walk away from it. You will hang on to him. And then you will be a mighty, mighty weapon of the Almighty in these days. Amen? Let's just stand together. Let's stand together. I believe there's, there's some healings in the house that's going to take place right now. As we preach the message of the cross, which I just did, we're going to ask the Lord to release some of that blessing into our lives and some of that strength into our lives and to own his message. So right where you are right now, I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord. And our first prayer, Lord, work in us. That's the first prayer. Holy Spirit, work in us. Invite him to work inside you. Lord, work in me. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Lord, if there's, if I'm seeing the specks in other people's eyes and I've got a plank in mine, show us the planks. Holy Spirit, this is what you've come to do. To sanctify us. To consecrate us. To separate us. Not for separation's sake, but for consecration, authority, and power. Lord, we've been thermometers too long in this perverse generation, in this backslidden church of Europe. We're just the same temperature as everybody else, but God, Holy Spirit, God Almighty on earth, would you work in our lives and begin to deal with the things in our hearts. Things that you've wrestled with us for decades, some of us. Years, months. Put your finger on it. We've resisted you and we've tried to get our under from out under you. And you just kept putting your hand on us. You're not going away. You're not going to stop. You're not going to let go. Those things, those attitudes. Oh, Holy Spirit, work in our lives work in Kensington Temple in these days more than the miracle of healing 
more than the miracles of provision. May there be the miracle of sanctifying work. We pray for your affections to come upon us, Lord. We pray for the workings of the Spirit in our lives. We can't do it ourselves, Lord. We don't even know what you got your finger on half the time. Do it, Lord. Show us. Reveal. Reveal. Search our hearts. We'd rather you did it internally than externally. We'd rather cooperate with you. God, more grace. You said we could go to our great high priest in time of difficulty and ask for grace and mercy. We're coming to you, Lord Jesus, tonight. We're coming to you, literally coming to you in the spirit. And we're praying for help, mercy and grace in our lives. That you would work on us with that grace and mercy. You would change our minds. Lord, in our lives, command what you will. But also in us, will what you command. Change our crooked hearts and our crooked desires. We're asking you to do this. Our crooked minds, our distorted sight, the way we see things, the way we see you, the way we see life. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Work in us. Work in us, Jesus. Oh, don't let us go, Lord. Don't let us slumber. Don't let us sleep. Don't let us plateau. Don't let us spend another year like last year, another five years like the last five years, another ten years like the last ten years. Oh, God. Work the works of revival in the hearts of, our, of us, Lord. Let there be an internal combustion of Holy Ghost fire. Let there be awakenings in the night. Oh God, may we not slumber. We can't do this, but you can do it, Lord Holy Spirit. You can take your power, your mercy, and you can bring forth in us that which you desire. Oh Lord, we come to you and submit to you as much as we can. It's so little. The submission levels are so little in our lives, but we start where we're at. We ask for mercy, Lord. More than riches, we ask for grace. More than physical breakthroughs even, we ask for spiritual formation. We pray for the winds of the Spirit to come blow through our lives. We pray for the presence of the Almighty not just to come on us, but to penetrate into the depths of our being. Oh God, bring us to the place of weakness, which is the beginning of the place of strength, and melt our hearts. Oh, melt our hearts, Lord. Melt our hearts. Rescue us from this perverse generation and its contamination and the worldliness that assails us, beats us down. God, deliver us. Deliver us. We thank you we are forgiven today. We are forgiven today. We are forgiven today. We thank you for that. But we ask that we would be delivered from our sins, not just forgiven, but delivered. Delivered from our sins, God by the convicting 
work of the Holy Spirit. Chase us down, Lord. Chase us down with your mercy and your grace. And, and Lord, get us to the place where you're not constantly wrestling us into submission, but we are holding on to you and not letting you go. God, let this church become a church that doesn't have to be wrestled down, but will hold on. Holding on, holding on, holding on, not letting go, not letting go until you come. Until you come, not letting go, not letting go, not letting go, not letting go until the power of the prince, the power of the princess. Not letting go till the authority comes, but the character to match the authority. We're asking Holy Spirit, the character for the breakthrough, the character for the promotion, the character for the finances, the character for the breakthrough, the character for the multitudes, the character for the blessing, to be able to handle the blessing. Oh God, do your work. We pray, we storm heaven and ask you. Oh God, don't pour out a blessing. Change us to be ready to carry the blessing not ruin the blessing. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Open the windows of heaven and pour out grace. Let the kingdom of God come down to earth. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come in our lives and let the influence of the Spirit, the workings of the Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, we are grateful for the works that you do in our church and our lives. It's your ordinary work. Your ordinary work, which is still so amazing of saving souls here and there. Getting us out of fixes here and there. Answering our prayers here and there. Speaking to our lives here and there. It's great, but it's ordinary. It's not extraordinary, it's not revival. It's not revival levels. But God, we're asking that you would consider helping us get to the place of being able to handle extraordinary moves of the Spirit. Oh God, we don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. We, when that glory falls, we, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be like them. We don't want to be like Simon Majors when the glory falls and says, I could use a bit of that. Oh, hallelujah. We want to be people that when we pray, there's a shaking on the inside that matches the shaking on the outside. We, we want to be ready for the multitudes. We don't want to spoil the harvest. We want to keep the harvest. Oh, hallelujah. Greatest thing that we could ever do for our own lives is to submit to you. He said, if you try and keep your life, I'll take it from you. You'll never be satisfied. But you also said, if you give up your life, you'll find it. Is there something, there must be something more than this. In this short life where all flesh is grass, Father. Like dew that comes in the morning, gone. There must be more. Time is marching on in the click of the fingers. We'll be in glory, it'll be too late. God, there must be something more. Help us, we know we're not what we should be. We're far from it. We're just coming to you in our sin and in our obstinacy, but we're crying out. We come to the mercy seat. We come to the mercy seat of God and we're pleading at the altar. Mercy, mercy, mercy. 
Oh God, we, we don't ask for what we deserve. Who could stand? We're just asking for mercy. Mercy, 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 Lord. Oh God, we storm heaven. We cry out to the throne of God. We reach out through the heavenly realms and we speak by faith to the Father of Christ Almighty, the eternal maker. Hear our prayer in this church today. Have your way in our lives and be merciful and kind and gentle in your ways and teach us your ways. Oh God, we don't want to be like donkeys that are pulled one way and the other by bit and bridle, but we want to be open, we want to be pure, we want to be free, we want to be submission. We, we want to be like thoroughbreds that you can whisper in our ear and we'll turn one way and the other, but we're not there yet, Lord. We're donkeys, obstinate donkeys that need to be led by carrot and by stick, but we're asking that you'll make us thoroughbreds, chargers, charging horses in the kingdom of God, battle horses, without reins, but know by the voice of the rider. Oh, glory. Glory to God. It's worthy of all glory. When this life is over, that's all we've got. You, Lord, we've got nothing else. We can't take it with us. Everything we've got is worthless. It's going to be nothing. We're going to be embarrassed when we go to the glory and think of what we've held on to and what we've prized in this life. God, show us Jesus, Lord Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we might see and wake us from our slumber. And may we be sober and alert that when the thief comes, we will be ready. Show us the signs of the time and cause us to release the pettiness of this world and, and to become great-hearted, magnanimous people of generosity to one another and of God to, to not to seek the highest place but the lowest place, knowing that the lowest place is the highest place and, and bring us forth as princes with God. Oh, maybe the, may we not be the ones you're wrestling to submission, but God, may we be like the one that hold on to your mantle, press into the crowd and touch the hem of your garment, hold on to your leg and not let you go like a child, hold on to his father's leg, going away on business, he won't let his father go. Lord God, give us childlike desire for our father to hold on, to hold on, to wrestle, we won't let you go, we won't let you go. Work that in our lives, Holy Spirit. Work that kind of character in our lives where we won't let you go, we won't let you go, we won't let you go, we won't let you go. This isn't about fake Christianity. This isn't about tongues or, or songs. This is real. This is real. This isn't fake. This is real. A woman with her God, a man with her God, holding on. It's real. It's real. God, do your work, do your work, do your work, deliver us. Work the works of God in our lives, sanctify us, sanctify us, work, work, work on us spiritually with blessing. Do not be offended, we pray, as much, so much that would offend you in our lives and our church. Lord, there's so much that would keep the dove from resting. We know that. We're asking you, by grace, to come anyway and help us. Help us. Help us. Talk about offense. And the most offended person on planet Earth is the Holy Spirit. 
But thank God you're also the most loving, gracious, forgiving, restoring person. And that's the part of you we're coming to tonight. Not for our sakes alone, but for the people that are in great darkness right now. The darkness of broken homes, the darkness of no knowledge of God, the darkness of hope, hopelessness, the dungeon of the enemy. Millions of people in Europe are not even forgiven. They're in dungeons, dungeons of sin, dungeons of condemnation, wrath, dungeons of the enemy. Lord, not just for us alone, but for those, for those, for our parents and our family and our friends. Remember this nation. And in your wrath, remember mercy. We've seen so much wrath. We've seen your judgment on the Church of Europe. It's heavy. The judgment of God is heavy upon us. We understand that. Just to look at the results, the judgment of God is heavy on us. The judgment of God is heavy in Europe. Lord, you said if there was a men or women that would stand in the gap, all that can change. Remember mercy, that's who you are. Merciful God, pour out your mercy. Lord, on these Sunday evenings, if you can use these Sunday evenings to help us get orientated to a revival mindset and a revival anointing and begin to work the works of God in us, we'd be greatly thankful to you. If you need a healing in your body, I don't know how God's going to do this or where, but I do believe there are healings here tonight. Just place your hand on where you need a healing and we're going to release healing anointing right where you stand. And then we're going to carry this out with us. In the name of Jesus, be healed. May there be enough anointing here of princely, princessly power in this body today to be able to pronounce healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in your body, healing in your mind. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Be healed in your physical situation. Be healed in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, bring a healing anointing and touch people's lives right now. Miracles take place in our bodies and our minds. Most of all, a miracle in our hearts. That's what we're praying for tonight.
face shine upon us. Let your blessing rest upon us. Watch over us and keep us. Let your grace be with us and do great things in our lives. Lord, we thank you. Change is coming. And you are working your life in our hearts we thank you it is only just begun great things are being lined up and that's why you're preparing us in these days you're preparing